today on Wine Access Unfiltered. So most asked questions are, who should I start? For fantasy. Fantasy, right? And it's always weird because agents, you know, 20 minutes before game time on a Sunday, all their players are going to be on the field. And I'm getting a friend to call like, hey, man, I'm like, what happened? Did someone like break their ankle in warm-ups? Like, hey, who should I start? I got Mahomes uh. and Rodgers. I'm like, <laughs> oh, my God. Welcome to the Wine Access Unfiltered Podcast. I am Amanda McCross, and I'm so excited to be here, as I'm always excited. I'm, I'm an excitable person, I think I've decided, because I, I get to talk with you, and I get to drink wine, and we get to do it with great people. So I'm excited to be here with Vanessa Conlon today. I'm excited, as always, and also I'm pretty excited about the two wines we have open today. Yes, they are killer, and we've got a great guest to go with them. We're with Ian Rappaport today. He is the host of Rap Sheet and Friends. It is a podcast, but also probably more famously is an NFL analyst, sports writer, pundit. You can find him on on Twitter. He's got like 2 million followers, so he's pretty popular. In fact, when I mentioned um, to a few friends that I had Ian Rappaport on, they had a million questions that they wanted me to ask him. So we'll see if we get to those today. You know, in addition to being a sports analyst and an on-air personality for the NFL. He is also a bit of a grill master. And he drinks a wide range of wines, including Sauvignon Blanc, Pinot Grigio, and whites that he loves to grill alongside with. Well, I know you'll have lots of things to talk about in terms of grilling and cuts of meat with your extensive background from from press. And I'm, I, I have something I want to ask him about, which is I, I heard that he has a what he considers to be a fairly embarrassing story about being at Burns Steakhouse, which is, you know, one of sort of the oldest, a little bit oddest, but a most amazing uh, places to dine in terms of their their wine list. And so I just have to know what happened there. Yes, I have heard the same. And I, uh, as a as a sommelier who has never been to Burns, I just want all the Burns stories that I can get until I finally make it there. So I'm excited to hear what he's got to say. We picked two pretty great wines today. I'm not even going to talk about like what the options were because the wines that we landed on very quickly were just so good. But mostly I wanted a Sauvignon Blanc that he could grill all of his meats with and have in hand. Uh, also sounds like he's a guy that like gets to the golf course a bit. Um, so something really delicious and something really iconic. And then also another iconic wine from Napa Valley because he loves Napa Valley that would be delicious with the steaks when he does finish cooking them. Well, and I think both of these wines are sort of the standard bearers in a way of of their categories in Napa Valley. Um, They're so classic. They're so um, well-known just in terms of being kind of best in class that, I mean, I I, I kind of hope he loves them because I I do – but um, it'll be fun to explore. Yeah, I do too. I, I'm excited to drink them. As always, they are selfish picks because we're both excited to drink these, and I hope he's equally as excited as well. We've got wine in our glass. We've got Ian ready to go. So without any further ado, let's drink. Welcome to the Wine Access Unfiltered Podcast. I am so excited to be here. I'm sure you are, Vanessa, too. Very excited. Uh, to be here with with Ian Ramapore. It's so good to have you, Ian. It's great to be with you guys. I have been very much looking forward to this, if only for many reasons, obviously, but if only uh, that I can start drinking wine at 2.30 in the afternoon on Wednesday, which I feel like is completely fine in this setting right here. It is not only acceptable, it is encouraged. In fact, required, <laughs> we might say. <laughs> Excellent. So you you should have two glasses, uh, which I think we confirmed for you. Um, you are a a wide range of drinker, 
But we wanted to hone in on two particular producers that are not only wonderful, but also classics and benchmarks. So I'm told you do quite more drinking in the summer months than you do in the cooler months, I think on account of all of the grilling that I'm told that you do, which we'll definitely dive into. Um, but Sauvignon Blanc is a, is a go-to white wine of yours. Yeah. I mean, and I would say that's, that's probably accurate. And when I, can I, can I have a sip now? This isn't like. You I, can I, drink. I, yes. Cheers. Was, Absolutely. Cheers. There you go. Cheers. I was thinking this was like, um, oh, that is yummy. Um, mm-hmm. I would, I didn't actually try it beforehand. That is exceptionally good. Um, I was thinking this would be like Passover dinner when they sort of get to, you know, you can drink one cup and then next cup, but I can drink whenever I want. This is, this is much better. Um, no, that is exactly right. So basically I would say I mix wine into my, um, my alcohol diet through most times of the year, but, um, I always want a white when it is very, very hot out. So for instance, um, Today, when I went out there, I played a little golf this morning. It was a thousand degrees. It was incredibly hot. Um, wow, that is hot. All I, uh, all I really wanted to do was come back and have a nice glass of, of white wine. And I would say this is, uh, <laughs> that was incredibly delicious. Oh, good. I'm- and it, and I, I'll tell you what's interesting, too, is like I am not a connoisseur as you guys are. I'm really just, I'm really just kind of getting into it. Mm-hmm. Um and it is always fascinating to me when you, I guess it's kind of like a movie. You read the reviews, you see what everyone else says, you see the ratings. And, you know, for this one, the ratings like off the charts and, you know, 94 or whatever it is. And then you taste it and you're like, oh, I get it. You know, and that's always, it's always a little bit of a fear. Like when, you, you know, again, like you see some, you go to some restaurant that's supposed to be highly rated. And you're like, oh, the service wasn't good. The steak wasn't done properly. Like, this makes me feel nice that this is so delicious. And it's also supposed to be uh, basically supposed to be like this. So that's good. Good. Well, I'm, I'm so glad that you brought that up because I think that the scores and the, all of, all of the write-ups surrounding wine are often something people think that they have to innately or naturally uh, ascribe to. And that's just not the case. So like, you know, a, a wine could be a hundred points. Uh, and actually the, the other red wine that we have was rated, 100 points, um, I think for this vintage, right, Vanessa, 2016? I think so. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, but so often I, I hear people talk about wines after tasting them. They're like, ah, oh, I think it's just me. Like, I think my palate's broken. You know, everybody else rates this so high <laughs> and I've heard such great things, but I, I just don't like it. And that's just not the case. You know, I, I think there is something, mm-hmm. I think, you know, we all have preferences for movies. We all have preferences for music. You know, I don't think it's this notion of like, I'm not sophisticated enough to enjoy or appreciate this. It's just, we're all made a little bit different and not everything is good for everyone. So um, I'm, I'm glad to hear that this particular wine resonated with you. And this is the 2018 Spotswood Sauvignon Blanc, which is just about as iconic as they come in, in Napa Valley. This is oh. um, a legendary producer started in the 80s. They were the first to be certified organic in Napa Valley, which is very, very cool. Mm-hmm. That is cool. Um, and the story with this wine, and I, I think the story is is equally as important with this wine as the other, um, maybe more so than some other stories that I've heard, but this particular story it was started by a, a family and the husband unfortunately passed away and the mother was left with this property in Napa Valley. And she's the one that decided to steward it herself with her young children oh, wow. um, using the resources of Napa Valley and and really beca- made what, what, what was her husband's dream, her own familial dream. And now today the, the property is still family run, operated and um, 
you know, is really considered one of the greats uh, by by the critics and and by myself. So I, I'm glad that you like it. And by myself too. First of all, um, I I love that. I I always you know you always want to hear the backstory. And you know, if it was some like you know terrible story or horrible person who made an incredible wine, like I would, <laughs> I guess I would probably get over it. Less because, exciting, right? Um, I would somehow come to grips, especially if it was particularly delicious. Um, but that is so cool that it is a, it is a great story like that. And, um, I must say, I mean, not to like go overboard, maybe I just have not had as much excellent wine as you guys have, but that is literally so good. It gives me chills. Um, and I want to drink oh, all I of it. I love that. Um, well, by all, by all means, don't let us stop. Oh, I mean, I, I think I probably will. You want to hear something terrible though? Sure. So every year, one of the highlights of my summer is I go to Napa stay at the Napa Marriott, you go see the Raiders um, and, you know, maybe have a little wine here and there. And and that's all good. But what's actually more amazing is really just you, you just drive, you just drive around like it's I mean, you guys know you've been it's you drive around and it's it, the sights are incredible. The sky looks like it goes on forever. Mm-hmm. You see all these, you know, beautiful, I mean, vineyards and everything. And this year I can't go because the Raiders are training at home uh, in Vegas this year because the coronavirus and because of the state of the the nfl no training camps are on the road so um my one experience with an awesome napa winery is going to be right here because i am benched um from traveling to napa this year very sad that is very sad it is but at least that's something that's special about wine right is that like we've can transport you know the valley to you through this bottle and uh hope i'm sitting right here in in the middle of napa valley right now so hopefully you can oh. you're getting a sense of it through the glass though that you know that that you're here with what is looks like an endless blue sky today yeah so not just like you described <laughs> <laughs> yeah i, I mean that, but that actually is a really cool thing though and, and i i mean if whether with i guess with wine it really it, it really does this for me a lot is it really does sort of transport you you know like there are there's certain experiences you have um, that tasting wine brings you back or, um, you know, just the sort of the experience takes you right back to where you were, you know, and there's there's a couple um, sort of ridiculous memories or incredible memories that I have that literally are just pop into my head and it's me drinking a glass of wine, you know, like let's hear them. Um, this is why we're here. Well, don't hold back. Come on. So, so here's one. <laughs> This is not a great memory, um, but it is. I mean, it was a great time, but it it was a super awkward memory. Um, So when we were, um, where was the winery? North Fork, right? Went to a winery, uh, North Fork, with a whole bunch of friends. Took a bus. We were 20. I'm asking my wife. She's sitting next to me. Um, We were, I think, 27 or 28 uh, in New York. And, you know, we took a bus out to a winery and it was, it was this, you know, you know, lovely day. And we'd really never been to a winery like this. Um, and all I can see is pictures in my mind of us drinking these incredible, expensive, awesome glasses of wine, going from one place to the next and really getting like the full tour. And we were on the bus and was all my high school friends. And I actually believe it was a 30th birthday for one of my friends. Now that I really think about it. And all it is, is crisp, amazing, summer wines um and then okay. that was the good part of the story the bad part of the story is we we hit traffic coming back and we we're supposed to meet my parents at a uh northern italian restaurant in new york city 
at 6.30 and we showed up at 8 o'clock. Uh-oh. Uh, and, you know, like if you've been drinking wine all day, you're not <laughs> always in a fantastic state to sit down and have like a, um, you know, sit down and have like a luxurious, expensive dinner. And we were so sunburned. We were like in pain. Um, <laughs> and anyway, for so that's a good story and a bad story. But um, wine is right at the center of that. And there's, you know, it's for 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 whatever reason, um, there's like a whole bunch of those that just um, that just jump out. The other one I where wine is like front and center. I mean, there's a lot of them. But the other one is when Leah, my wife and I got engaged. Mm-hmm. Um, we had had um, a well, we're in Memphis and I had her. We had been dating for three years. I had never talked about marriage. Never one time, never mentioned the word marriage. It had never been discussed when her friend and she's from Mississippi. So this is a big, you know, you're 26, 27. Females out there are just cringing inside. (laughs) Right, right. Um, And so, right. I was I think I was 27. She was 23. But, you know, all her friends are like kind of pull me aside at parties. Hey, you know, are you going to going to kind of ask her what's going on? And I would always say I'm not ready for it. 100% 100% of the time. Ah, I can't talk about it. I'm not ready for it. Meanwhile, I was in the middle of uh, planning, right? I had gotten a ring and everything. We, and we had never, we never discussed it, but I was deep in planning. And she planned this, um, she planned this Memphis trip. And so we went from Mississippi to Memphis. We went to dinner um, at a really cool uh, Brazilian steakhouse. And we got a bottle of... Um, Coppola director's cut. Um, mm. What's that? Uh, Zinfandel, right. Um, and, you know, in my head, it's a little blurry. And then and it gets very, very clear when I actually ask her to marry me. Because, you know, we're, we're sitting there and I think we were on cup number two. And if you've ever been to one of these cool Brazilian steakhouses, you turn over a... Um, you turn over a disc and it's either red or green. And if it's green, they come bring you steaks. And keep if it's it coming, yeah, keep it coming. And, and so, you know, we're, we're, we're drinking and we're having fun. And then she looks at me and she's kind of like, do you want to turn it over to green? And I'm like, you know, I can even think it back now. I can still like, I get the nerves and the chills. Um, and I'm like, hang on, can we just turn it to green? Like, let's go. I'm like, hang on. She's like, what? And then I like finally stand up to get up the courage to ask her to marry me. And the entire table behind us empties out (laughs) and it's very close. So I'm literally standing there while everyone is shuffling out behind me, holding this box. And I can see her start to also shake. (laughs) And then I get on my knee and I uh, ask her to marry me while accidentally cursing in the middle of it. (laughs) Um, And she says yes. And then we. I don't think we ate hardly any dinner at all, but we definitely drank. And then we did not, I don't think we saw that bottle of the Francis Ford Coppola director's cut until she found it online, like, like, Oh wow. Eight years later or something like that. But anyway, that is something where like, I will never forget what we were drinking that night. Also, it worked out well. We were still married and will always be. And we have two awesome kids. So there you go. That did work out. Wine wine brings many people together. And, and apparently it's long lasting as well. So is that, a, is that a wine that you typically drink on your anniversary now, now that you've been reunited with it? 
Um, yeah, I mean, we we got um, found it online, and then we also got it as a gift from one of our other friends. So we have, I think, six or seven bottles now. Um, we don't have any more. We have zero bottles. Did we drink them all? <laughs> Good for you. Just kidding. We drank them all. Let the record state the Rappaport's need more Francis Ford Coppola director's cut. No, we really do. I'm actually. Did we seriously? I'm sorry. Like, no, <laughs> we seriously don't have any more. Okay, just kidding. We don't have any more. Um, but we did enjoy them, and we used to drink them a lot. So, yeah. Good. All right. Well, that's. I mean, that's a great memory, and I think you're spot on. Wine, wine will transport you back to not only special places, but also just like odd memories that I've had with wine that I thought that I completely forgot, and I see the bottle again, and I'm like, I thought that had long gone from my memory, and then all of a sudden you're transported back, and you're like. Oh yeah, remember that time I dated that guy in that place, and that was a really <laughs> uncomfortable moment. But here we are. So to your point, good and bad memories can resonate with wine. But I mean, mostly like yeah. in retrospect, I'm curious really about the North Fork though. I used to live in New York City and would go up wine tasting sometimes. So what what were the uh, I I I'm oh. trying to remember where I used to go. I used to go to Wolfer, which actually that's not on the North Fork, is it? That's I'm trying and Mac- I'm Macari? trying to I'm trying to think I. I cannot, unfortunately, I cannot, yeah. I cannot remember. Um, was... Shoot. Do you remember the name of the winery? North Fork, yeah. We went to four of them. Four's a lot. Um, Four's yeah, a lot. I don't remember well, any of them. It's okay, but I used to, it's, it's very beautiful up there. Um, hold on, I have a question. So you live in Napa right now? I do, yes. So when you go to, and obviously, I mean, Napa is the best, but when you go to other, like, wineries and other places and try can you tell the difference are you like okay this is not like like, i don't know like the people who are from bourbon county will probably not drink any other you know any other people's bourbon whatever like can you do you go to other wineries and you're like okay this is simply not the same i i 100 go to other other regions and other wineries and yes i can tell the difference but that doesn't mean that i don't enjoy the differences of other places. I think, and Amanda, you, you know, you could probably speak to this too. I think part of part of our job is to drink adventurously and promiscuously, right? So even though I live here in Napa, <laughs> you know, I drink far more than just than just Napa wines. Um, it's a you know, it's a it's a requirement of the job that I'm I'm not opposed to. <laughs> yeah, I, I Vanessa drinks more broadly than than I do, just by the nature of what she does. She you know runs one of the most important uh, online wine retail. Uh, purveyors in the world and um taste wines literally from all over the world constantly i mean like look behind you right now she's got like a table full of yeah, wines that looks awesome yeah, so that's like that's her full-time job I, it was a little bit different for me um, although i will say having come up in new york city as a sommelier new york city is far more european centric when it comes to wine so my palate was really groomed with more burgundy bordeaux and italian wines um and that's for a number of different reasons but then i moved out to napa valley uh, five years ago and worked at a, at a restaurant with a very, very deep Napa, all Napa Valley wine list. And so I had a crash course Ah. in Napa Valley. So I got to know Napa Valley very deeply, but it doesn't, it doesn't mean that I don't have an appreciation for other wines. And I think most people who live in Napa, who, who were even brought up in Napa, you know, you're always going to have that notion of, of hometown pride, but it's not like a sports team. It's not like, you know, Eagles are bust. Like you can, you can enjoy, (laughs) other things from other regions just as much as you can enjoy your own hometown. I think just having the experience that I have with Napa Valley wine and being so having having dived so deep into it, I'd probably gravitate towards it just 
because I love the stories and I know the people. Um, but I, I love non-Napa wine just as much as, uh, the, you know, the next person. I'm actually drinking the, uh, the Bordeaux blend right now. Yes. Um, and first of all, it is amazing and so sort of yeah. big and complex, I guess. I'm not really sure how to describe it, but like very, very, very smooth. No, you just, you nailed it. That is exactly yeah, I mean, that it's line. very smooth and soft, but also then like very big and, and I mm-hmm. love it and it's awesome. But I do have a question for you guys. So, you know, I'm reading about all this mm-hmm. and it says like when, you know, it's best drank um in 2022 to 2045 um (laughs) first of all um how much of a difference is that and then is that something like you know we we picked this wine today was that something you were intentional not worried about does that how much does that matter like that's kind of what i'm wondering yeah i mean why yeah go ahead i mean you wrote the tasting notes uh, or had a part part in that so i think you know you take this but i i have some thoughts on since we're drinking 2016 Dominus, uh, I'll follow it up with my thoughts on that. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, when we suggest a drinking window, it's just that it's a suggested drinking window. So it's, you know, it, within that, it's what you like. And, you know, Amanda, we've talked about this before, right? So much of it about is like particular um, personal preference in terms of do you like your wines um, on the fruitier, more primary forward side, or do you like them on the sort of more savory, tertiary, earthy side? So, that's when we think the wine will be at its best. But then within that window, you know, you could drink it on the earlier side, you could drink it on the later, and that's really up to you. And there's no, there's no right or wrong answer. And you know, if you want to drink it, look, it's 2020, we're drinking it. We said drink it through in 2022. It's still pretty delicious. So it's just, it's just our, our recommendation. But in the end, it's really about what you, what you like. It's delicious. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing to remember with wines is that they don't age in a straight line and they don't even really age in a bell curve for that matter. It's more of a sine wave. So when you think about like how a wine evolves over time, it really is kind of this like this Mm -hmm. wave that kind of moves in and out and a wine is never in one straight trajectory. So, you know, a Dominus in 2016 Right now, it's actually showing really soft and and supple, but I know these wines to have a little bit more aggression in their youth, so they can be really tannic, they can be really kind of hard on the palate, and and it doesn't give you all all the things that are sort of underneath of it. And the beauty of a wine like Dominus is there is so much nuance underneath of these wines, and the thing that time does is allow some of those nuances to come through. So when we say don't drink this to 2022, it's just because it really hasn't had enough time ah. to develop. I mean, you think of a wine as like a human, right? Like babies are super cute. It doesn't mean that we don't want to hang out with young, with young kids, but like they are kind of more interesting as they grow in age. <laughs> um, and wines are mostly the same. You know, they just get a little bit more interesting. It doesn't mean that we like them less. It's just they're not at their full potential. Um yeah. And so when you look at something like Dominus, it's really interesting because I've actually had these wines all the way back to their very first vintage and they're beautiful, but they're completely different than this wine that we're drinking today. So hmm. this wine that we're drinking today is really fruit forward. It's really soft. But even if you waited, you know, the full 20 or 30 years to let this wine age, you actually may not enjoy it in the drinking window that we've suggested. It actually may have gone too far and, you know, too much of the fruit may have dropped off of it. Um, and so it's really as a consumer, as a drinker of wine, 
you know, that's part of the journey that you have to sort of experience for yourself to figure out, are you someone that really loves more of that like bouncy, joyful fruit? Or are you someone that like, you know, wants a little bit more nuance? Or are you someone that wants like nothing but like savory, earthy, um, you know, you, you walk into a forest and like all you smell is earth. Um, and not everyone's the same. And I like wines in, in different phases of their life uh, for different times and different uh, occasions. And I think that's the beauty of wine, right? Yeah, I need to figure that out. And, you know, our my sort of wine experience has been an interesting one because it really has been me. I don't, I don't know. Maybe this is what what um, people who are not professionals go through is like it's really been just trying to figure out what I like. So I remember mm-hmm. when, when we lived in Tuscaloosa, uh, but I was so this is when I was 26, 27, 28. And I was covering University of Alabama for the Birmingham News and Leah and I were dating, but not yet married. And I had a bunch of, you know, friends our age and like to go out and hang out. And we started going to a bunch of wine tastings. And the only reason was that we kind of liked wine, but we weren't sure why or what we liked. So it was basically every uh, Thursday night. And I remember this because I would have to listen to Nick Saban on his stupid radio show from like <laughs> 6 30 to 7 30 so i'd always be like a little bit late which was very annoying so they all will have started because you know in case he says something or you know a reporter at heart so i gotta figure out what he's you know make sure he doesn't say anything news we're in this radio show so i'd always be a little bit late but it was every every thursday and it was you know a big long several month journey of figuring out like all right this is what i like this is what I don't like. And, you know, I, and I think like everyone, I hear red and I'm like, OK, that means Merlot, because when you go to restaurants and you're a little bit younger, that's the house red. And you're like, I'm like, maybe I don't really like red wine that much. And then you try other sort of different wines and you're like, OK, maybe I just don't like that. But I do like a lot of other wine. And I, like that was that experience was really helpful um, because it really just helped me figure out what I like. And then it's also the kind of thing like we have, you know, two boys, five and seven. And I spent a lot of time telling them how much for like, you know, we have dinner, they have to try everything. And it's all like, just figure out what you like. And when you do like something, eat it a lot. And when you don't like it, thank you for trying. Great job. But just figure out what you like. That's yeah. kind of what it's I about. think as a parent, that's huge. I, I was lucky to have parents that were of a similar mindset. And I think that's really what afforded me the palette that I have today, which is, you know, not better or worse than anyone else's. It's just a little bit more experienced because I had the luxury of trying a lot of things when I was younger. And so it opened my eyes to different flavors and different textures. And so today as an adult, I think I'm more in tune with it, uh, which I guess makes me a better taster, which I guess qualifies me to drink for a living now. Can I, can I just tell you, I had the opposite experience. (laughs) Really? Yeah, my, my parents now have become very adventurous with food and like real, I would even call them foodies and and they love wine now. But um, growing up, we had about three different meals that my that, that we would rotate, all of which had like zero flavor oh. and spice. Um, oh, no. And um, no, but it's funny. But I tell my mom, I'm like, I think you did me a huge favor because I grew up with basically like a totally pristine palate because I never That's tasted right. anything until You're I was a blank an adult. canvas. <laughs> yeah, with a blank canvas. That is funny. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I do like that, that you guys are like professional sort of tasters, Yes, you know, like that 
a very cool thing. It's like for me, like, you know, I'm tasting new foods and tasting new wines as I'm doing right now, which is awesome. By the way, before I continue, that's okay to go back and forth between red and white or is this terrible? Encouraged. Do I, I think it's great because it refreshes your palate in between, Mm -hmm. you know, to go back to the white wine. So absolutely. Because, you know, I was drinking the red a little bit and then I went back to the Sauvignon Blanc and it was again, like, whoa, like it was like, it, it was like completely popped all over again, um, which is very cool. The thing with the, the thing with the Bordeaux is, I feel like I should be eating a steak. Like that, that should be. I always drink white when I'm like grilling, but I really feel like I should be drinking this and eating a big steak. Well, I'm you know? glad you said that because that was actually the reason that I selected. We selected this wine for you uh, was that we heard you were very oh. into grilling, and like I said, we will get into that. I think. If I can encourage you to do anything, and and this is one of the reasons that I think it's important to go back and forth between red wine and white wine, uh, notice how your palate changes and notice how it takes on different flavors as you move back and forth. And I, I say that from a just a – I know it sounds really like wine geeky, but I think it's really interesting because your palate changes so dramatically after after what you've just had in it. And so when people talk about like, you know, I, I – um, this wine tastes completely different to me today than it did yesterday. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that your palate is really set up for different things. And as you, as you throw acids and fats and salts and sweet, it will really, it will really change how whatever you have after tastes. Um, so I think it's, it's really interesting exercise to go back and forth between red wine and white wine because they are so different and they'll have different profiles. And, you know, you might discover that a white wine tastes completely different after a red and vice versa. Yeah. I mean, and and this is like, I spent a lot of time scoffing at the pairing with food, you know, because like it doesn't, it didn't, seriously, like it didn't make any sense. <laughs> Amanda's like, scoffing is a harsh I just, word. <laughs> I, it, I, to me, I was always like, yeah, okay, like you're supposed to have this with steak or this with fish. And then you really start getting to a point in your life where you have nice things and you want to enjoy good wines and great foods and all these. And you start to figure out like this, actually, there is a method to this madness. So like it actually, and you know, it actually makes sense and ends up enhancing both flavors. Like whenever I will eat, for instance, a steak, um, I will always want a big delicious glass of red wine or um, having shrimp or, you know, some sort of nice grilled fish um, or fried fish, which I also like. Um, a nice glass of white and it really like makes both better and it's very annoying because younger ian who knew everything and figured out that this was all bogus uh takes the l because it actually (laughs) there actually is a reason why professional people like to pair certain wines with certain foods like it actually makes sense yeah that was actually the reason that i got into wine was somebody introduced me to food and wine pairing and they paired a dish with a wine and all of this love that I had for food. And I, I've talked about this many times. It was like someone threw color into it. I've been eating in black uh. and white and all of a sudden wine just amplified all of my senses. It brought forward flavors and textures and aromas that I hadn't experienced before. Um, and so, you know, I think it's interesting that you say that uh, it didn't happen later in life, like as you started to appreciate finer things, because I think that's actually something that I think prohibits people from enjoying food and wine pairings, which can be so, so simple and at a very elementary level. And you think of food and wine pairing as something that you only do at a fancy restaurant or when you can afford really nice things. And I was much the same, you know, as a kid growing up, it was like, well, you only do a food and wine pairing if you're like super fancy and you have like a cellar (laughs) full of wines and you go to a Michelin starred restaurant. But it didn't occur to me until someone put a, a dish with a wine that I was like, 
oh, I get it. Like, like acids and fats, they go together and like salty and sweet, like those are real things. Um, and it also helps to inform how I eat and how I cook and the, the way that flavors play against each other. But I think, you know, my big takeaway was it doesn't have to be fancy. It can be something super simple. Like, you know, I really love, um, Vanessa, I know you and I have talked about this, but like I love like popcorn and Chardonnay or um, like a salty popcorn and champagne. Seriously? Um, yes. Seriously. Yeah. Yes. It's like one of my favorite things to do in life. Like literally a bag of like <laughs> microwave popped Orville Redenbacher and a Chardonnay. That is. And it's like, it's my favorite. That's really funny. Um, I have, uh, so I am, uh, I'm very strange in life, which I'm sure you guys will realize, or if you haven't already. <laughs> Um, I heard. Yeah, no, it's good. I, I don't snack. Um, I don't ever eat. I don't ever snack between meals. Okay. Except after dinner. When I, after dinner, that does, that doesn't count. That's a weird time to do it. Yeah. What I do is whenever we're watching a show, um, like, you know, nine o'clock, I will have a nice bag of popcorn. I would say every single night, basically of my life for the last, 50, <laughs> Get God, last 15 years, popcorn. <laughs> I am not addicted because I could give it up theoretically if somebody forced me to, but I really, really don't want to. Um, but the thought of drinking champagne and popcorn is fantastic. Um, and I'm going to try it. And I really do. I mean, it's, it is the anti, yep, you know, sort of like highbrow, lowbrow, rich and snooty food pairing, but I'm so into it that I am absolutely going. <laughs> yes. I, I love that thought and I'm definitely going to try it. Yes. <laughs> oh, good. Well, you'll have to keep me posted on, on what you think because it really is both of what we know, one of our favorite things too. And like that, <laughs> I think that notion of highbrow, lowbrow is the thing that we as wine professionals really love. And like, it's almost like you're kind of getting away with something when you do it, especially when it's with like a fancy wine. Like if you think back to that classic scene <laughs> in Sideways when he's drinking the, uh, oh, we say, it, I thought it was Pertuis, but I think it was Cheval Blanc, right? He drinks a Cheval Blanc with the, uh, with the In-N-Out Burger. It's Cheval Blanc, yeah. Like that to <laughs> me is the, that's, that's living. Yeah. Like that's life in a nutshell. Like I want to be, in a place where like, that's just my MO. Like I head to In-N-Out, I bring a bottle of Cheval Blanc, a couple of nice glasses or a solo cup, whatever <laughs> I have on hand. And I go to town. Um, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. But it, so I was, as I was doing some research, I, it occurred to me that there are actually a lot of similarities and parallels in our respective professions. One of which is that, um, you like us to people who love sports and people love who love wine. We have the dream job. Like everyone's like, what is it like to drink wine all day? And I'm sure everyone yes. comes to me. They're like, what is it like to be around like your favorite teams and sports players all day? So, um, is this a dream job? First of all, and I would love. To, how did this come to be? So you're right. Like I almost said, I had to bite my tongue. You guys were talking about like the different sort of avenues you go in, in the, in the wine world. And I almost said, this sounds like a dream job, but I didn't because everyone <laughs> says that to me and I don't want to be like sort of cliche, even though I really do think it is kind of a dream job. And for me, um, I can't say that this was ever a dream job because I never dreamt it. Like I was, so, you know, I graduated Columbia in Oh two. I had written for the school newspaper there. I liked you know, like writing, like seeing my name in print. It was kind of cool. People knew me around campus. I started writing um, high school, started covering high school sports for the Journal News um, right out of college, uh, which is a paper in, in uh, suburban New York, New York City, or suburban New York. 
um, two years. And then I got a job covering um, Mississippi State uh, for the Jackson Clarion Ledger, covering Alabama for the Birmingham News, then covering um, the Patriots for the Boston Herald. And I loved being a sports reporter. I loved being a newspaper guy. I was very happy. And I was, I remember we lived in South Boston, uh, which is the greatest place ever. <laughs> and I remember thinking like, and telling Leah, like, I think we're good. Like I could do this. Like we have enough money. It's a job I love covering the Patriots. It's great. And I was set. And then NFL Network called and invited me um, to a sort of lunch type deal. Three guys sitting around a, a table in the middle of the day at the Super Bowl fired questions at me for an hour. Um, I answered all of them. It was a good conversation a lot about journalism and how I did this and how I did that. And what would I do here? Um, and then, you know, we got done with an hour and they were like, well, you know, we fired questions to you. Do you have any questions for us? And I was like, yeah, what am I doing? Here? <laughs> and like, <laughs> That's oh, a good question. <laughs> um, well, we're, we want to hire, you know, a TV reporter and you're someone that we're strongly considering. I'm like, oh, I don't know anything about TV. I'm like, oh, it's okay. We'll teach you. And then they're like, oh, by the way, would you move to Dallas? And I had just been up for a job at the Dallas Morning News covering the Cowboys that they never ended up opening because of the way the business slash economy was. I was like, yeah, I would move to Dallas. I'm like, okay, well, we'll be in touch. And I remember leaving that meeting, calling Leah and being like, you're not going to believe this, but like something happened and this is really weird and I'm not going to get crazy, but I think we're going to get a job and we might have to move to Dallas. And this is all really weird. And she's like, no, no, you're crazy. They interview a lot of people. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm telling you, like, I think I got a, I think I got a feeling about this. And like three weeks later, they offered me the job and I didn't know anything about TV. I was terrible for a year. I was just bad. And then I got okay. And then I became our insider, like our, you know, basically newsbreaker. Uh, for all the teams, you know, in the NFL and the NFL itself, uh, like the next year. And then I was kind of off and running, moved to New York. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was, and people were always like, oh, you know, what do you, what do you want to do next? And I'm like, I don't know. I didn't even think about doing this. Like, I didn't even know this, <laughs> what I do now was even possible. Yeah. That's what's so, that's what's so crazy. Yeah. You know? I just tell you, I just, I, my my eyes just swelled up with tears and I just got massive goosebumps when you were telling me that story. I don't know why, but there was something about <laughs> that was it was it was so such a beautiful story and to, I don't know it just like resonated with me so much. Maybe it's the wine, but um, wow, how cool is that? I, I did too. Uh, it's still. I mean, I would say this like leaving that meeting and it was weird because you know you guys have been on a job interview. I'm sure you get all dressed up and you make sure you say the right thing. And I was wearing jeans and some like you know, kind of strange sweater, probably with the t-shirt underneath. And I just rolled up in the middle of trying to write another article. And it was, I guess, a job interview, but I didn't even know. And then like, I felt, um, I, and I would, you know, like you get excited about something and I was trying so hard, like <laughs> do not get excited about this. Like this is never going to happen. And that was eight years ago. Um, and I, I remember like, you know, I was at, the Boston Herald and my sports at the time, sports editor at the time was, you know, going through some things we'd like to keep you. And, you know, what would it, I'm like, no, 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 don't, 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 don't. Like I'm, I'm going, wow. like, this is too incredible. So I'm was going. it, was it challenging with being on air? Did you, um, I mean, you said the first year you kind of 
sucked a little bit, but uh, I can't believe that's the case because I know I've, you're here now. So sucked a lot. Yeah. No, 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 relative. no, 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 no. I swear to God. No, I was terrible. So I'll <laughs> just quickly, I'll go through how terrible I was. So, um, so, you know, you start out and basically like I was a field reporter. So I'm sure you've seen it a million times. You're on pregame shows and, um, you're, you're on pregame shows and they sort of will, will go to the field and they say, all right, you know, Ian, what do you have for us? You talk about the injuries or what the game plan is or whatever. And I would basically write out scripts for myself to talk for 40 seconds. Right. And um, I would get so nervous that it would be like I would not sound like myself and, you know, be the kind of thing where people would say to me, like, that doesn't sound like you. And I, and I remember like very vividly, Rich Eisen, our host, calling me during Thanksgiving after like, you know, five or six months doing the job. And I'm thinking I'm great. And he was like, you feel like you're, ner- you look like you're nervous out there. Is there, is there a reason why? Like we talked about different things, like maybe write a little, instead of memorizing a whole speech, just go through bullet points, like how to do it better. Because he was like, I don't feel comfortable throwing to you because you feel like you're nervous. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> I'm going to die. I'm going to get fired. Like, this is terrible. And then, so what happened was at one point I needed reps, right? And you just, you can't get it except if you're, on TV. Right. Um, so I went in, I remember talking to my boss. I'm like, I, this is terrible. I need to be better. He's like, well, we have a producer sitting there who's on, we have someone on call for 24 hours. If you, if you want to go into one of the team cams, which is a camera we have in facilities, just go in there and he'll pretend he's an anchor and you could talk to him and get better. And I was like, okay. So I sat there for two hours one day and just went over a million reps and that stuff helped. And then after a year, that's, I wasn't so bad. Um, that's so interesting. I, yeah. I find, um, but I really was bad. Seriously. At the beginning, I'm kind of the same way. Like the more scripted I am, the less polished it ends up being. And the more that I can be myself, the more it ends up sounding like me. And I found that to be, it's so interesting that you kind of found it out in a different way, but, um, you host a podcast yourself. Are you, and you know, we're sitting here, I've got, I've got, questions lined up for you here, but I've, I'm finding this conversation so fluid that I'm barely looking down at it. As a podcast host, are you someone that that does runs of shows? Are you someone that has questions lined up? I mean, is is the the format that you're using for on-air similar to what you're doing as a podcast host? Um, it's it's actually really different. So when I am when I'm on air, it's like, what are my t- what are the news topics? What are the biggest topics that we're going to be talking about? Right. And so I'll say like, you know, usually I'm on for five or six minutes or eight minutes at a time, you have two or three or four topics. You kind of go through them. They ask me a question. I give like a, you know, 45 second to a minute answer, or sometimes a little longer if I'm long winded. Um, and then I kind of go to the next it's, it's scripted ish, but it's all very planned out. Podcasting is different. And so like I host a podcast, um, but it's really just a kind of round table conversation between me and my buddies. And then we bring a guest in and I prepare a whole bunch of questions I figure out what I want to ask and then I don't know which direction it's going to go. And I realized like I became better at it and it became people became more interested in it when I just kind of let it go. Like just, you know, it's like when whenever like young reporters or, or, or even athletes, this actually comes up with football players a lot when they'll say like, well, you know, when a reporter comes up to me, like, how do I handle it? Or, you know, what's the best way to get better at interviews? I always say the same thing. Just talk. 
It's all easy. Like you've done it a million times. Don't just, just talk, just be yourself. Talk. Same thing with giving presentations. Don't write it out for yourself. Don't do cart. Just talk. You've done it. You know how to do it. It's natural. Just talk. It's great. I mean, it's great advice. I think just in life, not just for podcasts and TVOs. I think the more that you can just be, and especially with the world, like migrating to this more virtual setting where most of us are on camera now. Yeah. I think it's great. Great and applicable advice. Not just people, cats, dogs, children. Uh, We're all children. Do we have a cat coming in? <laughs> I mean, my, my boys have jumped, like Jude came on air, my youngest, when he was certainly not supposed to. And Des Bryant signed with the Saints. Um, I'm in my office. He's in the other room. He was homesick from school. He wa- I did not lock the door because I'm always home alone. Why would I? And he wanders into the shot and gives me the remote because he needed to pause it. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God, like what in God's name is that? And it was Jude. I picked him up, put him on up, kept going. Like, what are you going to do? You know, yeah. live TV. I yep. love it. Um, well, one of the other the other parallels I thought was interesting um, was that I'm sure everyone asks you for advice, whether it's for their fantasy football team or whether they just want a confirmation that their respective team is going to win the Super Bowl this year. <laughs> I assume that's what people yeah. ask you. Um, kind of in the same way that people are like, what should I be drinking with right. this fish that I'm going to be having for tomorrow night? So, which is great. And I, you know, I always enjoy getting those DMs and texts. Um, but what are, uh, what are the most asked questions and what are the questions that you think people should be asking that they're not? So most asked questions are, who should I start? For fantasy. Fantasy, right? And it's it's actually for fantasy, right? And it's always weird because I remember when the I- The coaches st- aren't calling you for advice. No, but what is funny is <laughs> agents who, you know, agents are often a source of, um, agents are often a source of information uh, for us. And so it's funny for me, it's like, you know, 20 minutes for game time on a Sunday, all their players are going to be on the field. And I'm getting a friend to call like, Hey man, I'm like, what happened? Did someone like break their ankle and warm ups? Like, Hey, who should I start? I got Mahomes and Rogers. I'm like, Oh my God. But I try to help because sometimes I need help in moments of need just like that. Um, so who should I start is a big one. And what's weird for me is when I first started covering this hardcore, like at Mississippi state and you're in the college town and all anyone cares about is Mississippi state. And I was very nervous because I love my job, right? I, I love, I like football a lot. I love writing. I don't do it anymore, but I used to love writing. Um, and I love reporting. And I was so nervous that all these people coming up and asking me all these things would be annoying and I wouldn't like my job as much, right? And it's been 18 years and I still love it and I don't mind. So people are always like, oh, I'm sorry to talk about work. But what do you think of the Jets? I'm like, it's not work. I don't care. Like, I like football. You know, like I am, I'm, I mean, I wouldn't say I'm like great at going through people's fantasy teams, although I, I find myself doing it. But just football, like I'm happy to talk about it. And that has been one like nice thing is that it never feels old or I'm never annoyed. Um, so anyway, uh, to get to your question around about way, um, who should I start is a big one. Um, what is so-and-so really like mm. is a big one. Like, oh, you covered Tom Brady. Like, what's he actually <laughs> like? And I always, you know, I also covered uh, Aaron Hernandez. Ah. And you never quite can tell what someone's actually like. With Brady, I feel like he actually is a really nice guy. Um, I like him a lot. Um, he was awesome to me, and he was just as awesome to, like, the lowest guy on the roster. Um. But I would say those, like, who should I start and what's this person really like are probably the most. And then, like, 
you know, how's my team going to do is always, it's always very high up on the list. And it's easy because, um, you know, when you're a hardcore fan, you kind of know what's up anyway. So I find myself being very, very honest because otherwise it's kind of worthless, you know? So uh, getting that question, like, who should I start? That seems kind of like a lot of pressure. Did you ever suggest someone and then it just like completely backfired? Yeah, happens all the time. It's terrible. <laughs> and everybody destroys me. There's one. Actually, what, what's even worse is, so like my opinion, I'm always like, look, I will tell you, but if it sucks, it's not my fault. I will always preface it with that, right? Um, what's worse is when the reporting malfunctions. Like there was one six years ago or something that I still remember. Randall Cobb was a receiver at that point for the Packers, and he had a really bad ankle injury. And he was not going to play. And so I talked to multiple sources, not going to play. And so I couched a little bit. I said, you know, he's going to warm up, but he's not expecting. In pregame, he's active. And I'm like, and everyone's sending me messages. Oh, my God, you said Randall Cobb wasn't going to play. And now he's playing. And I'm like, I'm screwed. What an idiot. Double check. Hey, listen, man, he's active, but he's not going to play. Just like we said, don't worry, you're fine. I'm like, okay, fine. So first half, he doesn't get on the field. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I didn't just screw everyone. Thank God. And then he plays three plays in the second half. He scores a touchdown and everybody loses their mind. And my, <laughs> I got like assaulted on Twitter. It was so bad. And it was, you know, I don't, I, I don't know what I would have done differently because I was really kind of right, but also obviously wrong. But those are the ones where I want to crawl into a little hole and not talk to anyone oh for a very gosh. long. Yeah. The Twitter verse is brutal. They, Ugh. man, great, great, but brutal. Yeah. Wow. Um, I'm curious. I have, I have been told that you had a visit to a very famous place that I have not been to, but Vanessa has. I wanted to ask about this. Yes. What place? <laughs> I have, I actually have, well, I'll tell you. So I have their wine list sitting literally 10 feet away from me. I've never been. It's from 1987. Never been. Uh, but it's a place called Burns Steakhouse in Tampa. Oh God. <laughs> and yeah. And I need to know what, I need to know what happened. So bad. I mean, the steak was amazing and they do a great job of like, they carve the steak just perfectly. So there's like basically no flaws in the steak, which is incredible. And you know, different things you can get. The sides are amazing. They cook it perfect. The steak was incredible. But it was also the setting for one of my greatest malfunctions that I've really ever had. Uh, it was my bachelor party. Um, and I had all my buddies in town. We all went to, we all went to Tampa, um, which, as you can imagine, was just crazy and awesome. And we go to Burns. And, you know, we special occasion. So we order a very expensive bottle of wine, um, which was, I would say, probably like, I would guess then it was like incredibly expensive. And I think it was like 350 or 400, something like that. Yeah. So like, you know, for a bunch of, you know, 28 year olds, pretty legit. And they lay it down on the table beautifully. And I'm like, oh, this is so cool. Like on the, in the cradle. In the cradle, right? Just lay it down yeah. on the table. And I'm like, this is awesome. So I pick it up. I start looking at it. I start kind of reading about it. <laughs> and I put it down right in front of me. And I'm looking at it some more. And I'm like, okay, this is great. And I put it down the center of the table. And I can see, and what's weird with like, I wasn't in the TV world, but now I'm like hypersensitive to it. You can sense when everyone's moving around you. And I could see people were moving around me. And I'm like, 
oh shit, what could I possibly have just done? And so the guy comes over and he's like, I'm sorry, sir. We should have explained this. And I'm like, oh God. And I, you know, the, the sediment is now at the bottom and I screwed up the whole bottle and he literally just took the bottle away, got it out of there. And I don't know what he did to it, sent it to, you know, the bottle recycling department and gave me a brand new bottle that I did not screw up by putting it straight on its base. Terrible. And, and, and I could Wait, feel, was it, was it open already? Um, I do not believe it was open already. Okay. All right. Well, that's better, I guess. But it was definitely one of those, like he was trying so hard to be nice. And as soon as he started talking, I was like, oh, I must have screwed something up. Like, shoot. <laughs> so yes, whenever I think of burns, I always think of that right there. Well, if it makes you feel any better, I spent years as a sommelier uh, having a similar conversation with more people than I can ever count. <laughs> Are you saying that to be nice or did that actually no, happen? No, I, I legitimately, I cannot tell you how many times it's happened. And I, I, I don't know why as sommeliers, we assume that people just know this, like, like this is normal behavior to put a wine in a cradle and set <laughs> right. it on the table and think that it's just going right. to stay there for any other reason. Than, like, there should be a sign. Should have a sign. Right. There. Like shame on me for thinking like this is common. You know, this is normal. Like everybody knows this. Um, but, you know, we it happened all the time. So I what I want to say is take that memory away from your burns experience as a whole, because it, it doesn't matter. And like, I promise you the simile forgot about it. And you're like literally one in a million. So don't like, just know that like it was there for a reason, but who cares? Like, what's the big deal? You picked up a bottle of wine because it was beautiful. It does make me, does make me feel a little bit better. Yeah. Also, you owned the bottle. And that was always what I told people. They're like, I'm so sorry. And it was like, you bought the bottle. You can do whatever you want with it. Like if you want to like wave it around and like have a party with it, by all means, it's not, it's not mine anymore. Um, just know that it might be like a little chewier than it once was. So... <laughs> <laughs> Oh my it's God. All, that, it's all good. It's the, all good. And I will say the bottle was excellent and the steak was excellent after I'd screwed up the bottle. Yes. Well, we cannot, we cannot let this interview go without your grilling tips because I have been told by multiple people that you are like kind of a grill master. So what's, what's the deal? What are you, what are, what is your grill situation? All right. So here's my, I appreciate that to everybody lying for me. Um, <laughs> yeah. so, so my, my grill situation at this moment is <clears throat> I, you know, I love to grill steaks. Um, I'm very, very much charcoal, very much on feel, right? So, you know, we have a we have a thermometer like a lot of people, but really you should just be able to just touch the steak, right? Um, I season it uh, and marinate it in salt and pepper. That's it. Um, and now I, I shouldn't say that's it. We did get a new, new rub called White Lightning from Mississippi. That is amazing that we will sometimes use on steaks, but really like, the more simple, the better. Unless it's like flank steak or something, which sort of should be marinated. Very, very simple. Turn it once, feel it out, and grill it as hot as you can. I also smoke a lot. Um, I have a, uh, at this moment, a charcoal smoker um, that is awesome. And you have hooks, hang the meat on there. Uh, you come back in, you know, a couple hours. You make sure it's okay. You wrap it up. You put some sauce on. And the way we do it is the boys get to put the sauce on. Oh, so okay. So I call them outside. We get the little paintbrush. They paint the sauce on and they are part of it. So this started when um, I wanted them to eat ribs. 
all boys should eat ribs. All people should eat ribs, right? Um, but feel like there was a better chance of them eating it if they had ownership of it. So they come out with me. They help me with the charcoal. They paint the meat. They wrap it up. And then they made it. So they eat it with me. And that is, uh, I, I love to grill. Um, I love to smoke. I'm assuming you mean smoke, smoke the ribs, not just, you know. Yes. yes. No, I do not actually. <laughs> I do not actually smoke anything except for meat. Are you particular about the, the meats that you choose? And is there, uh, I mean, you mentioned flank steak, but is there, are there cuts that you typically gravitate towards? Um, I, yeah, I mean, I, I have ribeyes a lot. Um, I've been, usually I would get the ribeye and Leah would get the filet. And then I started eating everything medium rare. And then I kind of learned how to do it. And now I kind of love filets because it's like soft, like butter. How um, are you cooking this steak before medium rare? Medium. Oh, yes. Right. So that, but I was like a long journey to get from medium to medium rare. And now I wouldn't want steak any other way, but, um, welcome. Yeah. Yes. I know. It's like when you sit at a place and people are like medium. Well, I'm like, Oh God, no. Yeah. I worked at a steakhouse for many years. I am. No. I, the cringe is. <laughs> and people say, people say, Oh, I should have it how I want it. I'm like, you don't want it like that. You think you do actually, mm. but you don't. You're going to pay $70 for a steak that tastes like a tire. Seriously. Enjoy. Uh, yeah, no, I, I'm actually a, I'm a rare girl. I, I, uh, and I always have been thanks to my mother, I think, or maybe just my own, who who knows that that's nurture versus nature versus nurture. But, um, but yeah, I'm like a, like you could get it from the store and it's probably good to go for me as long as it's at like room temp and I can cut it. Um, but is there, so, so there is a, a, it's a polarizing debate on whether or not you are like an Angus person or in California, we have the Holstein cattle. Are you particular about the type of beef that you get, or do you, are you grass grain? Do you have any feelings about that? I'm really not. Um, I, for me, it's more like if you cook it right, it's fine. It's, it's all good. So I'm, I'm not particular. I'm more of like, I don't know. It's more whatever I can get than, than where it's from. And obviously, like, as you guys know, the last couple of months, it has actually been difficult to get good steak because of the coronavirus outbreaks and all sorts of meatpacking plant. And it's just been, it's been a little more difficult, um, but um, but uh, but yes, I will, as long as you cook it right, I'm okay. Okay, well that's good to know. I uh, I was going to suggest Flannery beef, which is one of my favorite California purveyors. If you're Ooh. unfamiliar, um, they they only really do Holstein cattle, and it's like prime plus. So they start with prime, and then they kind of like say, yeah, like it, yeah. Um, well, I think we should uh, revisit the wine one more time before we wrap up and see if your favorite uh, is still the Sauvignon Blanc or if perhaps you've maybe gravitated towards the red wine. The red, I will say, is opening a bit. Um, you know, this is a young Dominus. This is 2016, a wine that I do love with age. I think it can definitely be appreciated in its youth. And I will say the 16 is probably one of the more forgiving vintages in its youth. I think it is showing a little bit more ripeness than it usually does. I feel like um, yeah, sixteen can be pretty like open, open knit in its youth. Yeah, interesting. Um, I would say I love, I love the Dominus. It is awesome, especially how soft it is. Um, but I would still say that the Sauvignon Blanc is is the winner. All right, SB is the winner. 
Well, two delicious wines that we've had today. Excellent conversation. The conversation was definitely better than the wine. (laughs) I would not say that. Says a lot about the conversation because the wines were excellent. Well, Um, I think they ate each other, right? Yeah, there you go. It's complimenting. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So, um, no, we we really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, People can find you where? Where can we listen to more uh, Ian Rappaport? Rap Sheet and Friends podcast. At Rap Sheet on Twitter on NFL Network. Uh, Yeah. All sorts of places. Amazing. Well, I look forward to seeing you this season. I know it's going to be a weird season. I look forward to seeing you up there. I hope you have some great wine in your future during all of this. And I hope you share with your wife, Leah, because she seems great. And she definitely took the time to decant that Dominus beautifully. So Uh, please do make sure she gets a glass. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much. This was a blast. And if you need help with some great wine in your future, you have two two folks on speed dial now, right? (laughs) Correct to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Well, that was certainly the breaking news from Ian Rappaport that I have not heard before. We're used to seeing lots more football-related things, and today we got a different side to him. I thought that was fun. I thought it was really fun. I loved his stories. Um, I loved the wines. Yes. I love Dominus, and I also love Spotswood. I was really surprised that he loved the Spotswood more, though. I was, too. And uh, I'm always really excited when we have a white wine or a sparkling wine because we seem to have a lot of guests who really love red. So it's refreshing anyway, Um, but then super refreshing that he liked that more. Totally. Well, I was refreshed. My palate was cleansed. Everything was delicious. What were our last drops today? What were some of the takeaways that we felt like maybe we learned something from? I mean, I... I loved his story about how he really had to work to get comfortable, um, you know, on camera. I feel like we see often people, you know, in positions of of um, fame or notoriety, and it always looks like it comes so easy. <laughs> so I thought it was inspiring. Just remember, he, everybody had to start somewhere, and, and everyone has to work on their craft. That's right. I love that, too. I thought so many times, and I'm sure you have, too, being on camera, everyone thinks you look so natural. It's not that natural. Far from natural. <laughs> but I, you know, it, it was a great testament to his work ethic. And I, I loved talking to him about that. And to to use an overused and slightly cliche word, his vulnerability throughout this episode was kind of kind of nice to hear. And I love that he was not afraid to ask questions about wine and specifically about the wine drinking window. I love that. No, to- totally agree. And I I bet especially your background as a wine director, you probably got asked a lot um, by consumers about yeah. drinking window. I know I certainly do. And it's such an interesting, sort of complex, but sort of simple topic at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really loved that we got to explore it. Yeah, I did too. And I think we learned something from him today about grilling. We uh, we shared some <laughs> stories and we had a great time. But more importantly, we drank some delicious, delicious wine. Where uh, Where can we find such beverages. You can find such beverages at wineaccess.com. And of course, remember to follow us on social media at wineaccess on Instagram and on the Wine Access Experience group on Facebook. Vanessa, I am just so proud of you doing the social media shout outs. That's the best. (laughs) Yes, you can find all of these wines on wineaccess.com. You can also subscribe to uh, this podcast, which you should be doing if you're not already. Um, Give us a review if you're so inclined. Make it a five star if you really love us and we would appreciate it. And follow the podcast on Instagram and Twitter as well. We're at wineaccessunfiltered on Instagram and wineaccesspod on the Twitter. And we love to share these stories that you're watching or you're listening to, I should say. You can see little video clips of them on uh, on Twitter and Instagram, which is kind of fun. So without any further ado, super delicious. And uh, I will talk to you later. 
Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>